Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Happy birthday to us as a church. Some of the kids, I know we're eyeing the cakes over here. So we have afterwards, not, not right now, but afterwards, this holy sanctuary will turn into a fellowship hall and we will celebrate and have some cake. And so this morning, it's my pleasure to introduce someone who's going to speak today. His name is Jeff Kozira. And some of you might know Jeff from New Life North, because if you know anything about New New Life Church. We are one of eight congregations all around the Pikes Peak area. Uh, and we meet in six different locations, east and downtown and midtown. We have three different languages, English, Chinese-speaking congregation, a Spanish-speaking congregation. And of course, you're now sitting at New Life Manitou, which we've been meeting literally for five years. Happy birthday to us once again. But one of the centralized ministries that's at New Life Church that Jeff Kazira gets to oversee. There's two things. It's the healing care ministry. And a lot of you, I have been uh, walking with you long enough to know that a lot of you have been taken a part of this uh, ministry. It's one-on-one meetings with someone who's an intercessor and a Christian and who just walks with people and asks you your story and prayerfully gives advice. And this ministry is available to anyone for free. And so so we've, I know we've all been hearing about the rise of mental health and people struggling with depression and anxiety, people struggling in their marriages, people struggling for whatever reason. This one-on-one ministry is a great asset for all the congregations that we as New Life Manitou are a part of. Jeff also oversees a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, which is a 12 steps uh, ministry. It's a Christian-based 12 steps program that takes people out of hurts, habits, and and hang up. So if you're struggling with anything, you show up on Thursday night and you say, I'm just here. It's my first night here. And we'll walk through with you through whatever it is you're going through. So these are two ministries that, that we just as a church, as all congregations, we need to know about them. So it's been on my heart to have Jeff come and speak to New Life Manitou for a very, very long time. And he gets to come on our fifth anniversary, birthday anniversary and, and speak to us. Uh, and his heart He's going to stay on this topic. We are in this sermon series on who is God, and we're going to talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we've been talking about God the Father. So Jeff's going to stay in that sermon series, and he's probably just the most prayerful, kind, caring guy that I know of. He's one of these people that says, how are you doing? You're like, good. And then he says, no, really. How are you doing? And he's patient and he really wants to know. He's, his passion is truly the Lord's care over us in our lives. So would you join with me in welcoming, with a man to welcome, Jeff Kazira. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Wow, what a pleasure, what an honor it is to come here. Thanks, Joe, for the invite. And um, like you, I've been enjoying this series on who is God. Uh, I've loved that, you know, we sang a song today of God is a, he's a good, good father. And Joe kind of went over that. Uh, Brett went to some deep, deep places that I can't even touch on. They're universes away from me. So I'm really grateful for the day that I'm here 
that there's cupcakes. That's kind of my level of Christianity. And, uh, and I had no idea that they once a month that they have a breakfast here for the volunteers. If you ever want to serve, I'm telling you, motivation comes in a lot of different ways. But Jerry is an amazing chef who served us this morning. And I hadn't planned on eating before I uh, spoke this morning. I don't prefer to do that. But once I saw what was being made down there, I gorged myself. And um, so if anything happens here, blame Jerry. Today, though, I wanted to, and again, also, you know, last week we heard that God is a jealous God. And he's not jealous for the things that are not his. He's jealous for what is already his. So oftentimes we'll talk about the atonement of Jesus came to, and he was on a cross on our behalf, atoning for our sins. And that is true. But there's something even more and grander in some ways than that is that he crossed the universe to be able to reclaim what was already his. And so he is a restorer, which is my message today. God is restorer. So I looked it up, and restore literally means to bring back, to return, to recover, to put back in order, and to adjust back together. And so when God restores, he doesn't take us back to where we were before we found ourselves in a broken state. It's something of a new beginning, a resurrection, something greater than that. And what I love about what you're doing today with filling out cards is that you're sharing a story of what God has done in these, over these last five years. And for some of you, I just met Abby today, and this has just been a few months together, but this is a family. This is a welcoming place. And so Jesus loved to tell stories. And on one occasion, it was following what the Pharisees were kind of murmuring about, about this man, Jesus. And they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And to make their point, Jesus shared three successive stories. And they're all lost and found stories. And they all culminated in restoring what was lost. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read the word of God. The first of these three lost and found stories is when Jesus says, suppose one of you has a... a..." By the way, when we are in the word of God, I really believe that we should immerse ourselves a little bit with our imaginative ways of being able to say... Lord, help me picture this story, not just say the words and rush through the sentences, but help me to get engaged with the story, activate my senses. So I hope that's the case today for all of us. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, we've seen those pictures of Jesus walking with the lamb right across like this. Sometimes I do that when I read scripture. I just get to that point and I go, wow, that's what you do for me. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus makes his point. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. 
This is the word of the Lord. Amen to that. You can have a seat. I love that story. And the next one goes on to talk about a lost coin. And then the third one is kind of the climactic one for the Pharisees. They're the tragic ones in this story because they're missing out on the love of God in the way that Jesus is presenting the Lord. So one of my favorite authors is a guy named Ken Geyer. And he's written a number of books over the years. Um, I first read one of his when I was in seminary called Windows of the Soul. And I love that book. And what I love about Ken is when he writes, it's like he paints pictures for us. And again, my idea is I'm very visual. And so I want to be able to connect with the heart of God. And so he wrote this devotion, devotional like 24 years ago. It's had a few covers since the original. And, it's, and they always get better. The covers always look better. But the content is the rich, substantive part of it. And we know the prodigal son story, many of us do, as, as the one that said, hey, you know what? Give me my stuff now. I want my inheritance. Um, and he goes off and he squanders all of it in wild living. And at some point, he comes to his senses some believe it was he was so hungry that he came to his senses and said, there's at least something that I can be you know, fed with better at home. I can serve. I won't be a son, but I can be a servant. And a lot of times that's how we feel, like we have gone into distant places in our life and that it's hard to be able to make a turn. But do you know that repentance, the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. And teshuva, the spirit of, the, of teshuva is... When we make that turn, it's a welcome home response. It's not groveling to get back in God's good graces. It's welcome home. So here, Ken Geyer's commentary on, picture this now, a little bit of artistic license. Let's give him a little grace here. But I love the way he tells the story of the son who's made the turn. As the son is on his way home, the father is on his knees. How many tears has he shed? How many sleepless nights has he spent? How many hours during the day has he wondered about his son's whereabouts, worried about his safety, wished for his return? How many times has he sat on his porch at the end of the day, reading the horizon as if it were a line from a psalm of lament? searching for some word of hope. One late afternoon, as the father is studying that horizon, a dot suddenly punctuates it. He squints. His eyes are not what they used to be, and the dot becomes more distinct. He follows it down the sloping road until at last he recognizes the familiar stride. It's wearier than he remembers, but it's the stride of his son, and a rush of emotion sends him running. As the father draws near, he sees a haggard vestige of the person who left home so long ago. The son is unkempt, faint from hunger, and his spindly legs barely support him. But with what little strength he has, he rehearses his scripted confession one more time. When the father finally reaches him, you notice the father reaching him. He doesn't make him grovel in the dirt, he doesn't question him to make sure he's learned his lesson. And he doesn't lecture him, look at you, you're a disgrace. 
I knew when the money ran out, you'd come crawling back. You can come home, but only on one condition. The father says none of these things. Instead, he throws his arms around his son's neck and showers him with kisses. That means kissing over and over and over again. Tears rushing from his eyes in a riptide of emotion. The son tries to recite his carefully worded confession, but the father hears none of it. It's not important. It is enough that his son is alive and that he has come home. For the son's lost dignity, the father bestows on him a robe of honor. For his bare servant's feet, he puts on them the sandals of a son. For the hand that squandered an entire inheritance, he gives a signet ring that reinstates the son's position of authority in the family business. For his empty stomach, he hosts a feast fit for a king. A robe, a pair of sandals, a ring, a feast. Symbols not only of forgiveness, but of restoration. Gifts of grace lavished on the one who deserves them least. Nikki Gumbel, who founded, pioneered the Alpha Course, writes of the father in this story, he plans a lavish celebration party. We see a picture of the kingdom of heaven like a party. They've got cupcakes like that. <laughs> this is opposite of what many people think. They do not associate God with music, dancing, feasting, and celebrating. But that's who our God is. That's why when you say, hey, whether it's a fifth anniversary or a fifth birthday, who cares? It's a celebration. Look what God has done over the last five years in our story. And, and we've been brought into his bigger story. So let me share with you my teshuva story of welcome home. I was 35 years old and I finally connected the wires between religion and relationship and I got it finally. And it was because God is so gracious. So as soon as I came to Christ, though, and surrendered my life, what happened was that the radio from heaven kind of tuned on. And I could start hearing, you know, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. I started hearing this voice. And he was telling me things to do right off the bat, including one of them was, I want you to go home and ask forgiveness of your father. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. He's the one who never said he loved me, never affirmed me as his son. And then there was no more frequency. It was like what was said was said. And I was so filled with joy, though, that I went and did it. I got on an airplane. I went to Connecticut. And for five days, I avoided my dad. <laughs> and I started telling everyone about my relationship with Jesus. That is not the easiest thing in a Catholic family, by the way, the way that I'm describing it now for them. But I went that road because the other one was even harder. And then finally, I came to my senses, and I went home to see my dad. And I placed him in a chair right in front of me. It was a chair where his dad died in that room. And I'm very symbolic about everything. So I was placing, you're living a life of death. And I know that spot. I've lived there for 35 years. 
And so I'm sitting there, I tell him my, I love Jesus, and I'm here to say I'm sorry for how I have felt about you. He didn't know what to do with this kid. And so he just sat there. And then the radio came on. And I heard the voice say, do for him what he could never do for you. And I knew what he meant. How is that possible? That's a pretty general statement. And I leaned over and I gave my dad a kiss. And I said, I love you. And boom, off my shoulders came this weight. I mean, it was real. I couldn't believe I'd been carrying this around with me all my life long through unforgiveness. So I was so alive in that moment. And, you know, my dad looked the same way. He was kind of limped over. He didn't know what to do with me. And yet I was even more free in that moment. And then I said, hey, dad, you know, we never talked about death in our family growing up. And there was a lot of that. And then I started speaking prophetically to him. He didn't know that. I wasn't even sure I was doing it either. But I said, hey, when you go to heaven, there was no evidence at that point that he was going to heaven. But I already was speaking it. And I said, when you go to heaven, what would you like for us to celebrate? Your homecoming. And he said, well, I want a flag on my coffin. I want an honor guard. And you like to talk, so you say a few words over me. (laughs) Move the story forward. The Air Force has sent me down to a three-week class down in Florida about a year later. And I meet some people down there, and we're just connecting and sharing God's stories. And one of these guys says, hey, great story about forgiving your dad. Have you ever gone to get his blessing? And I said, he wouldn't even understand it. I'm not sure I understand the whole thing either. He goes, I didn't ask if you understood it. Did you go get it? So he left it alone, and I left it alone. And we were trying to sell our house at the time up in Vermont. And I was finding my way back into New England a few weeks later. And as I'm walking into my father's house, we had gotten an offer that day for the house. And as I'm walking in the house, the radio from heaven came on. And the voice said, what's more important to you? The sale of the house or the blessing from your father? Hmm. I think God already knew that the sale was really important for me. But I think the master was trying to teach the student. So I went in and I started writing out a blessing for my father to read over me. And I remember just praying to the Holy Spirit saying, I can't be rejected by him again. If you're asking me to do this, you've got to give him a heart to do it. And I didn't know how to approach it. But I just opened my mouth, and out came these words. Hey, Dad, last year, you asked me to speak a few words over you after you die. Today, I'm asking you to speak a few words over me while you're still alive. Would you do that? And he said, let me get my glasses. And he spoke those words. And when he was done, there were no glory bolts. 
Sometimes obedience doesn't come with a lot of that. But months later, I was coming home after teaching at the uh, academy, and my wife, Ruth, was talking to my mom on the phone, and I was hungry, I was tired, I saw the food on the stove. And then Ruth said, hey, do you want to talk to your mom? And my answer was always the same. Yeah, of course, I'd love to talk to mom. And so we get on the phone, and 45 minutes later, I'm really hungry, and I'm really tired. And she says, do you want to talk to your dad? And at least I knew with my dad, it was going to be five minutes, shallow, surfacy, sports, and we're done, and I get to eat. And instead, 10 minutes later, I'm going, God, you're up to something here. I'm not hearing any voice from heaven on this one, but you're up to something. And then my father said these words. You know that thing I read over you? I said, the blessing? He goes, yeah, that thing. I read that over you every night. Forgiveness leading to blessing. Move ahead a few years. My parents would come to visit us, and I learned from Christian research that the optimum amount of time for a visit is four days. <laughs> My parents would stay for 10, and they had very little interest in doing anything. So Ruth loved when they came, because she would put out a whole list of things for me to do to keep me occupied and keep me sane. So I'm up on a ladder one day, washing windows high up in our living room. And I look down and I see my dad reading the sport page. A very familiar posture all through my life growing up. And then the radio went on. And the voice said, ask him a sports question. Come down the ladder. I go over to my dad, have no idea what I'm going to say. And out of my mouth comes, were you fast when you used to run the bases? And his whole countenance changed. And he was actually having conversation with me. He was actually enjoying talking. There are two types of people, babbling brooks and dead sea. My dad started babbling and going on. And I'm getting all excited because my dad's talking to me. And I said... I'm going in my head, okay, God, I got to get the next question. I got to get, I keep the conversation going. I didn't have to say another word. My dad said, hey, I was just reading, reading in the sport page about Kurt Warner. He's religious like you. I said, dad, remember, I'm not religious. I just love Jesus a lot. Yeah, all right, well, he's religious. And so I remembered that Kurt Warner had a book out at that time called All Things Possible, which more recently, he's had a movie out that's based on that book. So I thought, I think you're up to something here, God. So I went out and got the book. I had never seen my dad read a book in his entire life, by the way. So I bring him the book and I hand it to him and I tell him, hey, you mentioned Kurt Warner. If, why don't you read it? If you like it, maybe I'll read it. I've never read the book. But he did read the book. And... Um, about halfway through, I'm walking by on one of my jobs that I'm doing around the house, and he slams the book as I'm walking by. And I looked at him, and he looks at me, and I said, what? He goes, I almost cried. 
My dad was a World War II PT boat veteran who saw a lot of combat and brought PTSD home with him. His nickname was Duke, and Dukes don't cry. He gets to the end of the book, though, and he's all animated, and he goes, Jeff, you have to read this. And I'm thinking, wow, well, we, we both like numbers, so I'm sure this is career statistics of Kurt Warner. And instead, it's the sinner's prayer page. And I'm really surprised. And I said, hey, Dad. And I read it out loud, and I said, hey, Dad, do you believe that these words are not just for Kurt Warner, but they're for me and they're for you? And he goes, yeah, I believe it. And then I gave him the full court press, what he was saying yes to just to make sure he knew what he was doing. Halfway through it, my dad grew up a street fighter. His brothers used to bet on him in the streets. And the street fighter couldn't take it anymore. My deep, Brett-like sermon. It was way out in the universe for him. And all he said was, hey, I believe it already. (laughs) Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of heaven rejoiced that a 79-year-old man did a teshuva twist and walked into the wide open arms of the Father. The way that Ken Geyer closes this devotion. He says, Jesus said, no man knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. In the parable, Jesus shows us an example of everything an earthly father was meant to be. Tender, compassionate, understanding, demonstrative in his love. But he shows us something else He cracks the door open to heaven ever so slightly to reveal his own father. Through the slender opening, we see a purity that the Pharisees couldn't seem to understand. The purity of a father's love. A love that didn't play favorites. A love that reached out not only to the prodigal lost in a distant country, but to the Pharisaical lost just outside the doorstep of home. So when my father said yes and turned, it was almost a reminder to me of the celebration that goes on in heaven. And when the older brother resents the father's generosity and scandalous grace for the young young brother, the father reminds him, everything I have is yours. He just doesn't see it quite that way yet. But everything I have is yours. And the the way he ends it is, but we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We serve a God who celebrates every day. Joe said it this morning at the prayer meeting. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. So with heads just bowed for just a moment here. If today Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and inviting you to enter into his life, 
All you have to do is make the teshuva twist to just turn and walk into the wide open arms and say, yes. There you will hear the words of teshuva, welcome home. Let's celebrate now. Thanks for letting me share today. Thanks, Jeff.